0: Dogs of Warcry is a new podcast from the Mortal Realms, focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. In episode 5 of this second season, we are reviewing the Stormcast Vanguard and the Spike Gits. From the aesthetics to the tactics, we'll share our thoughts on why you should consider mustering these fighters. Welcome to the Warband. My name is Eric, and answering the call with me this week is Josh and Paven. How are you gentlemen doing?
1: Excellent, thank you.
0: So happy to be here, Eric. And I can tell. You know, we were recording last episode, Paven, and then all of a sudden you just uh, took off. And we didn't know where to find you. We looked everywhere. Uh, we looked in uh, the new faction cards. Uh, we looked in the
2: there?
0: old faction cards.
1: Well, uh, was A points? All over the eight points.
0: Yep. Uh, so everyone's just wants to know, like, where were you? Where where were you hiding in the podcast?
3: Oh, I was there. I just didn't have anything to say. Oh. <laughs> oh.
0: I see you such great restraint that you showed.
3: No, you guys Um, got it. You guys nailed it. (laughs)
0: Um, But you're back this episode for the full thing. Um, uh, And uh, we are very excited about what we get to talk about today. A couple more of the war bands that we've been playing. um, And uh, we'll get into that more later. Why don't we jump into the hot forge of Mithraxis? Feel the heat. Uh, How does the song go? Feel the heat.
3: Oh, we don't do singing on this one
0: ready or not hotter than hot
3: i guess it's your show
0: (laughs) uh wherever i go it's my show uh so at the forge of mithraxis we're going to talk about the things we've been working on this week uh pavend we've been waiting to hear your soothing tones so why don't you share with us uh what you've been working on uh, the past couple weeks
3: First thing is I was able to finish the shroomomancer. Uh so the entire Gabapalooza is complete and painted up oh, and was in my was in my display cabinet, now it's it's all packed away. So that um, that pretty much kinda of puts a puts a little hat on my Gloom Spike Gits collection for now. Um, perfect. Kind of I painted every every mini I really liked from that release and I feel good about that. And also my goal was to assemble the Gabapalooza as part of my like, kind of side quest for my gloom site gets this go around. And so now I have all the guys painted. I can slowly add them to the war band. So that's really, that feels really good. I've also painted the three eel riders I've working on. Well, I painted two and then the last one just needs a few more highlight, a few more layers of highlights. Um, I'm currently working on and shout out to Josh on this podcast for 3d printing, me a number of crystals because i'm rebasing them or basing them all um trying to have them swim past large crystal formations instead of using flight stands i feel like it gives it a cool fantastic base um, or fantastic kind of place to exist but um i haven't figured out quite how to paint it in a way that is like uh that looks good um but i'm, I'm trying new techniques i'm really working on pinning it in a way that it that it actually stays pinned um and the last thing I'm working on, I don't know, do we have any rules on this podcast about talking about painting non-War Cry projects? No. What's the verdict?
1: No, I painted non-War Cry projects, you know, when I talked about a present I gave my wife. So, you know, I think it's fair. It's hobby work.
3: Okay, cool, cool, cool. I, ha- I, would, I would never paint anything for my wife, but... Um, <laughs> No, I mean I would, but w- she just doesn't care about anything. Right, right. Yeah. This, ner- this nerd, nerd, stuff.
0: Wasted energy, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So I picked up a a miniature from uh, a new newer game system called Conquest, which has some cool lore and some cool some cool minis. And I just wanted to dip my toe ever so slightly, so I bought one hero bottle and painted it up, and I'm just waiting for the um. Wood filler to dry on the base, which is a hobby tip I got from uh, Eric. Uh, nice. I was trying to yeah. work with that sm- smelly, smelly stuff. He <laughs> <laughs> forgot to mention that part. <laughs> I think he did. I think he told me how bad it smelled, but I think I forgot.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, I opened that bad boy up. And I'm like, oof,
0: that is real, real poopy. Of all the, of all the senses, I'm most likely to fail to warn somebody about smell. I have the worst uh, sniffer.
3: Uh, ever so oh. i oh oh me too me too um yeah like when yeah when my little boy reza like poops his diaper or well, used to poop his diaper she's like it my wife's like can you, you can't smell that i'm like nope <laughs> ignorance <laughs> is bliss right it smells fine to me i guess you, you know
0: you smelt it you deal yeah. with it
3: yeah, I mean, the downside of that is that I do want to do the smell check, and this is probably way too graphic for this podcast. I really <laughs> got to get in there in order to be
0: sure. Uh, to be clear, you can talk about models from other ranges, uh, but we're going to draw the line at Baby Diapers. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: No further than here, That's please. That's it. No further. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. If we have any listeners left, I'm done.
0: <laughs> All right. You guys can come back now. Yeah. Um, Uh, I'll jump in next. I've been working on uh, some of my uh, man-eater ogres and uh, lead belcher ogres uh, Mm. using the ogrens uh, and bulgrins from the 40K range as more svelte, uh, well-built ogres. And they are pirates. They live aboard my my big ship. Um, And... I've been, I've blocked in all the colors and now I've been working on, uh, since they're sailors or a sailor type, I've been working on tattoos and I'm really kind of the first two that I did some time ago, I just kind of went with kind of the sailor style where like every port you go in, you get a different tattoo and they're just hodgepodge. It doesn't matter much. Uh, but then I started experimenting a bit more with, uh, more, uh, um, like Maori tattooing or just more tattoos that are full sleeve or full body and use the contours of the body a little bit more. Um, I'm not trying to copy any specific one because I don't want to disrespect any uh, you know, traditions, but kind of just taking that and paying homage to it. Um, and uh, then I've been working on getting out a few war bands that I think I could paint up really quick uh, because the Warhammer store has – A uh, kind of a contest that they run as a store, Um, uh, and so we, you know, kind of to help build up the points from our collective gaming uh, community and and uh, help vent out, so he gets uh, gets big recognition for for all the cool stuff that's happening in our store. So I've pulled out um, the Hrothgorn uh, warband from Underworlds, and I'm going to paint them up, Um, and I've got probably enough i've got some thunderers which i probably have enough of those to kind of paint up a, a ko war band and so on and so forth so uh, i've got my um storm finally painted up uh so that you know can can mark those down and then these ogres will be ready for that soon as well so yeah so i'm, I'm going to be making some more progress on kind of a bunch of little war bands or or whether that be for underworlds or for Warcry. um just to kind of I don't know. I feel like the first part of the or last part of last year, I did not get very much painted. So I'm trying to make up for it now.
3: Eric, oh. can I ask you a quick question about your hobby progress? Absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, how do you – what is your recipe for tattoos? Thunderhawk
0: blue and um, Abaddon black. Uh, I use the air. Uh, and I mix those about one to one, maybe a little more blue than black. Uh, and so uh, in the, it goes on – it looks a little bit black, but then it kind of – the The blue tint uh, Mm -hmm. kind of gives it that feeling, like, on skin. And then I wash over it. Um, So usually – so right now I'm working in kind of a a mid-brown tone, um, kind of a a Latino tone or a a South American tone. Um, And so it it works really well on that as far as, you know, being kind of a black and shows up on contrast there.
3: When you say you wash over it, do you do, like, a a glaze of the skin color over it to look faded or – No, I don't,
0: I don't do enough with glazes. I just, I'll do, I'll put the the skin tone on and I might blend the skin tone. Like I go from like a a dark up to a light a little bit. Uh, And then I'll do the tattoos and then I'll do a wash like Agrax or whatever wash I'm going to be using. So you could wash with like a a purple tone or a red tone to go over it. Uh, But I've just been using the Agrax. And then um, I'm not sure if I will darken any of it. But I'll most likely I'll just do some highlights on the skin around it and try not to mess it up. But and it it makes it make them feel a little bit more worn worn out and like um, faded into the skin. So I don't know. It's it's fairly easy. And then I use um I have a a brush that I got from my mother in law who's a folk artist. Um, And this is a a zero brush, but the tip is about three quarters of an inch long, like the, the brush itself. And so it has a really long, like you can, I can get really fine detail. It'll hold quite a bit of paint because it's a little bit longer, has more room for it. So it means I can, I can paint longer lines in one stroke. Um, I've, I've been experimenting little by little with that kind of stuff um, over various different, you know, war bands or different things here and there. And that one, that recipe seems to be my, at least it's my favorite. Um, it's not a stark black it uh, just has a little bit of, of worn in, worn in, uh, coloring. So,
3: yeah. Cool. The reason I ask is like, I did some tattoos on that conquest mi- miniature and yeah. uh, I just, I, I tried to get cute and use, uh, instead of like using a black or a blue paint, use dark oath or not, uh, off nightshade. Okay. Uh, and that worked okay. Yeah. 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 Well, and <laughs> I think not very, it's, I certainly just painted it <laughs> on. <laughs> uh the other thing i
0: do with uh thunderhawk is really good if you mix it with whatever flesh tone you're using uh for uh making stubble or like shave, shorn hair uh if it's dark so that that's really good
3: all right any other questions anything else I can have no there? i really I, I really want to hear about josh's hobby progress now
0: <laughs> me too josh what have you awesome. been up to the last few weeks
1: Mostly been focused on terrain because there are our local Warhammer stores doing this kind of a global hobby challenge. And as part of that, I had to put together some large models. So um, I was working on uh, kind of finishing up some of my Warcry starter terrain because I had finished one piece, base coated most of the rest of the stuff, but had not finished washing and highlighting and everything else. So been making a little bit of progress on that um additionally um it also reminded me that i had some of these large cypress swamp trees that i had put together for uh, for 40k actually and um that i hadn't quite finished up three of them and they would be great for warcry and a swamp board provide great line of sight blockers and add some character to the boards and so i got got the, re- the rest of the three finished the foliage and everything put on and i just need to kind of go back and uh finish some of the painting, get some more washes into the cracks and, and uh, do a little bit of touch ups, but, but yeah, they look great. So I'm excited about those and hope to, to kind of get them on a board sometime soon.
0: Nice. Fantastic work, everybody. Um, let's move to the path to glory and uh, talk about games played. Uh, Josh, why don't you get us kicked off there?
1: I've had a, a great last couple of weeks. have been great for uh games. I've gotten in now eight games with my uh, Schmidt's acquisition and recovery core and been having a lot of fun with the, the and overlords. They definitely have a different play style and uh, getting, getting a feel for how they work and really enjoying that. Uh, the the shooting has been novel since the uh, Cypher lords didn't have any of that. So trying to figure out when to shoot and when not to, and, and when to move and, and how best to use them because they're a little slow You got
0: to know when to hold them. Exactly. Know when to fold
1: when To host them. them.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but uh, but i've also gotten some good roles on my uh trial of champions um you know uh lesser artifact table which has given me some automatic 10 glory and other things i'm really enjoying the trial of champions stuff. i didn't get a chance to try that in our last couple leagues so really enjoying the the wound table and the detailed and the dominated territories so it's, it's been a lot of fun Nice, and and I'm now on my get my final convergence for that first KO quest. So excited about that!
0: Nice. Uh, So you finished the final? You're up coming up.
1: Yeah, coming up. So I have just the final convergence left, and I'll finish that first quest.
0: Very cool. Very cool, Paven. What have you been up to uh, in the gaming space?
3: Yeah, so like I said before, my my Squig Squad i think this is the the end of the trilogy for the squig squad there um they have like two competing goals one is to assemble the gabapalooza so i want to get six dominated territories so i can add six allies in the five gabapalooza plus a cave shaman so i have like a a coven of grots kind of working working their voodoo on the eight points that is kind of a hobby slash narrative goal that i'm trying to put together i'm thinking five of six dominated territories but more importantly everything's painted so it's like ready to go oh yeah nice. um, and then uh while that's also going around uh skitrag the my leader is also chasing a moon that has appeared in the eight points um cuz we're really into moons and it's lunagast and it's speaking to us and um we've gotten a couple games in and we we got to our second convergence and this is where lunagast somebody's been it, it's pretty much there are certain Magic men that don't, that aren't all about the moon, and they say bad things about it. this moon that we're looking after. And so we get really worked up about it. Um, and so we, we have to go beat, beat these people up, um, that are, <laughs> moon. um, and so I got, uh, I, 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 it, the convergence is, um, it's the one, it's, I think it's called Gauntlet. It's where, yeah. You pick one of the dagger, hammer, or shield that is on the board for your opponent, and you have to kill everybody in that thing, but they don't get to play with any of their other dagger, hammer, or shields. Um, so it's just like, you you just like kill that. All they get is the dagger, and you have to just wipe it out. Mm. Um, so I, I the first time I did it, I couldn't quite get there. I did, I was able to kill the Necromancer. Um, this is a Legion of Magas game, but I couldn't finish off all the skeletons before the timer ran out. Um, but that was still a pretty fun game. I feel like we really gave that that uh, that necromancer what for, though. So full <laughs> victory because we really we, we punched him right in the, the tummy. Um, and then we were able to then we ran out back immediately um, with somebody who was running uh, scaven, and we, uh, we we fought a, a storm vermin who was also smack talking our moon, um, and we beat up him and his buddies. And so we, we converged. Uh, and we're just, we're kind of marching our way to that final convergence now. Feels good. Other games played. Oh, my, my gets feel super OP now. Cause like, like once, uh, you, yeah, once you got like 200 plus glory and like I got a ton of good artifacts, I have this, my, my favorite champion is like got plus one attack and plus one strength and another plus one strength. And so he is just a rotten missile. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so he's, yeah, so I feel very OP. And that's kind of leads into my other games played because I've started to bring my Aiden of Deepkin, um, as that I now have a painted but unbased, which is kind of breaking rules I have, but I think it's more okay uh, to play with all painted stuff. Um, eels, so I can, I can feel the full thousand point war brand of Aiden of Deepkin. Um, in the case I'm playing somebody less experienced or new, I want to give them a, I think, feel like it gives a better game. I think, the gits are good. I'm good with the gits. And like my warband is very strong at this point. Like, you know, we're three seasons deep into like artifacts and abilities. And, uh, you know, they're. And so I just want to be able to like tune it down a little bit and still have a really good time. And I think I've had a couple games with the IDNF that have been super fun. Um, and they like, you know, I don't have any artifacts or abilities. I'm just trying something out. I just I run a ton of thralls and one eel. And, you know, I've won one and lost one. I, it, it's just been really great games, I'm really happy that like I can just put throw that in the box, and I don't have to worry about like bringing my really strong stuff to a like what should be like a more casual experience. Right. Sure. Sure.
0: Yeah. Two. I have two questions for you. Yeah. Uh, one. How many quests have you uh, taken
3: these guys through? The the gets. Yeah. I think only only the one okay but i've been playing it's the same warband i've been playing since like work i dropped and so oh. like i have restarted once i restarted again for trial of champions um so you're on your so second like, quest with them yeah so like my leader has a command trait and artifact um yeah i'm yeah i think i'm on my second i'm gonna complete my second quest here nice nice yes. second one
0: yeah. when uh gloomspike gits are saying mean things to other war bands do they call it uh shiitake this was the second question yes do they call talking smack shiitake
3: oh okay i was hoping you had another joke um (laughs) that's a good one because it's like the mushroom
0: (laughs) on to me the bright flares Wow, have passed crazy. their first convergence. Uh so <laughs> there, I was kind of sitting there, I was playing some different things. Uh and uh after they lost some ground, like a little scattered, weren't finding their way to their destination, heck of a needed to show her war band uh that she had the chop. So uh they suddenly found themselves, you know, trying to progress forward and 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 found some seraphon in their way. Now you never know with Seraphon what their motivation is, what they're doing there. And in this case, they just were working against us. So uh, it was uh, instead of trying to like do a ton of damage, we thought if we could cut the snake off the head. Sorry, cut the head <laughs> off the snake.
2: <laughs>
0: and uh, so the the it was an assassinate uh, game. And, uh, and Phil, uh, f- what the heck's co-host, um, had a uh, knight as the leader. Um, and, uh, was able to put some damage in them with the hurricane and then, uh, have the Griffhound uh, take him out and, and, win the game. So, uh, that was a good, uh, first and, you know, we're talking about a little bit and I think it'd be interesting. We'd love to hear some feedback from, from, uh, people out there. Um, but even, you know, maybe it's some conversation sometime thinking that maybe the first quest, um, might be more in the favor of the warband because uh, it's definitely. I it felt like I had quite a few advantages going into it, uh, and then they get harder for your warband as you get to the end. Um, but uh, anyway, it was good to get them uh, progressed and uh, get them going on to the the next uh, um, kind of next waypoint, and and yeah, pretty excited about that. And then, uh, as Josh alluded, big news: uh, a Shudna and the dogs of war cry war band passed their final convergence boys woof 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> against somebody I, who
0: i needed some more Arsenio in that Twice. Uh, uh, Twice. What? josh you're ruining all of <laughs> why you got to why you got <laughs> to take my spotlight
1: it was such an no,
0: excellent. no no but see here's the thing i'm gonna i'm gonna be very honest and upfront about this uh, we don't need to soil it by uh, by making a mockery uh <laughs> uh so the other night uh thursday night i'd played uh two games uh got uh you know the bright flares through their convergence i'd gotten to play you know another game with um the bright uh, i think with them uh as well to get them to their first uh artifact of power and then uh uh co-host of uh Man, we're just like we just play ourselves here on on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but Aaron from the Moral Realms uh, was out, and he doesn't get out as much to play games. Uh, and he came out with his warband to play. I didn't know what he had. Um, but this was maybe his third game. And I was like, I, I'll i play you. And then it, it pinged into my head, because we've talked about this before. I was like, the only way I'm going to win this is if I play with, against somebody who has low model count, very few games under their belt, and uh, and whatnot? So I kind of I felt guilty. I felt really guilty about suggesting it. But he was like, "Yeah, totally." Uh, so uh, as I said, he's only had a few games in. Uh, he had like a thousand points to my thirteen hundred. I had tons of artifacts and and uh, and and my you Wait. know my.
3: Wait a, minute, wait a minute! Wait a minute! You, did you use any of the super artifacts I made up and gave you?
0: No, 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 no. Okay, uh, <laughs> not those at
3: all. Uh, that would have been ooh, oh, that would have been. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and uh, but he ended up having so he brought um, his corn blood bound. So he had um, a korugarath. He had uh, one. His leader was a um, blood warrior, and then a bunch of uh, blood reavers. So. Um, He had a sizable army for a thousand points. I think it was like nine or 10 models or something like that. I had to again, pick a quarter. I picked the deployment that I wanted or something like that. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it ended up being a, a good game in that one. I was able to, um, kind of take the lead in activations so that I had more choices of when I wanted to act in the third battle round. Um, and I did play some mind games where, he, like, I he couldn't figure out where I had placed it, and I did a couple of fakes, uh, but realized, like, there, like, I think where I had done with maybe paving with you and I, where I'd maybe faked too hard in some directions, like, committed some stuff to like making you think I was going someplace, but that I maybe overcommitted, so I didn't have enough uh, things going. But whatever, um, so I didn't have as have as much of a uh, trouble doing that because I had plenty of activations after he had activated it in the third round. Um, but it, it, did come down. So he knew what, what he needed to do. Uh, and he did manage to run like two, um, of his reavers into the corners of two, uh, zones and the korgorath into a third. I managed to clear out one of the zones, but it wasn't the right one. Uh, and I made him think that the zone, the Korgorath was in was the one that I wanted, uh, by trying to commit stuff to the Korgorath. but it didn't matter. Cause he still had that one guy way in the corner. Uh, and in the end, uh, it was the one of the guys in the corner was in the zone that I needed to clear out. I happened to have a triple six and I had a first fang and I had a B speaker in that quadrant. And I was able to move double move my first fang uh into a position closer, like the to the B speaker, and uh pull his model in the corner back towards the middle of the quadrant in range of my B speaker, who could then take two actions to whip him and uh, ended up killing the blood reaver and clearing that, that quadrant. Uh, so again, even though <laughs> I was up on numbers, even though, uh, you know, the, my opponent didn't have many games, it came down to, uh, the right ability, uh, the right model on the table and then, uh, rolling, I think she gets three attacks. So I had to roll six dice to, to get, uh, I think it's 10 wounds or something like that. Um, and, and so in the end, uh, this is my fifth time playing this convergence and I got to say, it's pretty satisfying, uh, finally having all those pieces come together. Um, in the end, I totally should have picked a different quadrant that he never went into, uh, or no, that I killed everything out of, but this one worked out. So, um, awesome.
2: nice
1: yeah,
0: done, man. I did it guys. I did it. You know,
1: and <laughs> I just, you know, I, I can't. That that mission has got to be the hardest final convergence I've seen anybody play. It's just that is a rough one. Good for you for sticking in there, man.
0: I feel like I got to set a good example. You know, <laughs> I can't I can't be whining and uh, you know breaking my toys because I can't get past the convergence. But it it's pretty satisfying to stick with it. Uh, you know, I did go off and play some other warbands for a little bit, tool around, uh, play around with some different things, explore other things the game had. And then every once in a while, I'd just come back to it, see if I could play it again. Yeah. Uh, I'd forget some things, uh, and so luckily, I you know had played it the week before and was still a little bit fresh in my mind, so that made yeah. it a little easier. So uh,
1: I think that was definitely a good strategy. That way, you don't get too frustrated and stuff, and you know you learn a little bit more, and you go back and try something different. I think yeah, that worked out. Uh,
0: that saga is over until I uh, you know I may use them to, to to collect a few challenge battles or do some stuff like that, um, but. Uh, they'll be ready for a new quest here pretty soon. And I think I'm going to take on the, the other one that's in the core rule book um, and progress right. on that to kind of be a completionist sure. before going on to a faded quest or, or something. So awesome. But yeah, that saga is done.
3: Ooh.
0: I am a big boy now.
3: <sighs> I'm so proud of you guys. You know, finishing up with your <laughs> yeah, first I, do, you, do you, Eric, do you feel any different?
0: Um, I mean, I, a little more feral, um, <laughs> huh. no, I, I do. I mean, it, I definitely feel, uh, a strong kinship with that, uh, particular, um, convergence mm-hmm. and that war band, right? Like there's some of that, like striving together and, and failing that, that, you know, I feel very, I guess, endeared to this war band, um. And certainly, there is something to like. We're, we've spent so much time on this game, and I finally got through my first quest. Um, but it's it's been really rewarding. I've put a ton of hours into it. It's been a lot of fun. And when you when you buy this stuff and you you invest the time and the energy into it, you want it to to be rewarding. And I feel like it, it very much is. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah the I models feel are great.
1: You know, you guys do an awesome job painting your models. You know, there's a lot of a lot of love in there.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So, I well, let me ask you guys. Do you guys see me differently now?
3: Yeah, you. I didn't. I didn't want to say anything, but there's like, um, I was like, I don't know the way you walk. <laughs> a little a little, oh, a little spring up. spring in your step.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like,
3: I was telling Josh the other day. I'm like, did Eric get cooler?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. His hair was sticking up. It was almost like a mohawk. I could tell he was channeling the the untamed. yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I tried the the top ponytail thing, and it got weird looks. So. Some people can pull it off. Cool, cool, cool. Let's jump into the circle of pain. We are supposed to be working on our War Cry boards. <laughs> An entire board worth of terrain, themed up, and, uh, you know, I'll... I'll go first and I'll fall on the sword because we've got a little, bit a, a victory condition here that Pavin set. And that if by this week I hadn't, uh, uh, gotten more progress done on my board that we would have to have a timeout, maybe a detention, uh, a terrain day detention. Um, and I'm here to confess, I have still done nothing with that board and I have not, uh, since I've been working on models and war bands, I have not, Gotten further on deciding on to switch over to a like loading dock for my um, my Coredrin ogres or whatever. Twenty lashes. Twenty lashes. Uh, is that paint lashes? Um, eyelashes. Um, so I don't have that. Uh, I am terribly sorry, listeners, for creating nothing but boredom in this section of the the um, cast. So. Uh, I'm going to turn okay, over, sir? you know, Pavin, how are you doing?
3: Yeah. My notes just say, ah, <laughs> I don't, maybe that's really terrible audio. <laughs> it's the worst, but uh, but yeah, we can cut that out. Yeah. No, no progress.
0: So what are we going to do? Are we going to get together? Are we going to get together and paint
3: and hobby? Yeah, I'm down. We also have to, uh, we have this, uh, I don't know if you, there's a small convention happening in Chicago soon where we're th- throwing an event. And uh, we probably should do something for that as well. <laughs> or is all that right. th- that right. too much of a peek behind the curtain?
0: <laughs> no, I think it's all right. I think I I, I hope everybody knows how much we're uh, working on uh, and preparing ahead of time, so it's a great event. Uh, but but we definitely need to get together and work on this challenge. Uh, so here's a question for you, Pavement: uh, Are we each building our own border, or are we combining our powers to try and take on Josh?
3: Oh, I thought we would just like, you know, do one of like, oh, I'm, I, this is a gift from all of us, and we just submit uh, Josh's board.
0: <laughs> are we, uh, are we uh, asking uh, to join Josh's project so we can all get credit for the teacher?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a... it's team effort. There you go.
0: <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds real good. All right. Well, why don't we pass it over to Josh. You let us know, how far have you how far are you on your board? What's your progress like?
1: Definitely. Uh, I essentially just need to um, add some rubble and debris on the main baseboards and then paint everything. So I've got some uh, storyboard theming I'm working on, trying to figure out what kind of colors and, and how grungy, dirty to make it. But uh, yeah, no, it's just more getting down and just getting paint on it now.
0: All right. Uh, and you've been working a little bit, um, getting some feedback on the Discord about your scheme and, and that sort of stuff. Have you zeroed in on your paint scheme?
1: Um, I think I, I may go with a lighter colored columns just uh, to contrast with the darker baseboard. So the models will stand out a bit. Um, I, so I need this week I need to prime at least a few of the columns and then start kind of working on that test scheme to see what it looks like. And then uh, hopefully I can share that. But, uh, but I've got lots of ideas for small modular components like piles of skulls, candelabras, maybe some, you know, uh, walls or some fencing, you know, so that people can put them around the board. And uh, I also want to make the, you know, some stairs or fountains to kind of put in some of the column spaces to change it up and, and make it look interesting. And uh, last week, I I brought the board in just to to get some feedback from people during the Warcry League, or on Sunday, I think it was, actually. And um, we we discovered we can fit the uh, Shattered Storm Vault platform over some of the sections in the board to make it fit in there to look like a storm vault, perhaps. So lots of possibilities. I'm looking forward to trying things out.
0: Nice. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Um, Then, uh, so everybody knows, we've got three more episodes in the season after this. And so that puts us at about six weeks, um, uh, that, but we do have a in there. So that's gonna, uh, take away from the progress that I've been making, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on this board. Uh, but hopefully, you know, uh, you know, I just think it's fantastic. All the work you've been putting in Josh, and I hope that nothing happens to your board, uh, so that, <laughs> uh, that, you know, none of us get any credit, uh, on this. Um and with that, uh, let's jump into the visions of madness and news. Um first off, two weeks from now, we're gonna be uh heading down to Chicago and uh, kind of uh seeing people, shaking hands, probably not shaking hands, but probably bumping fists <laughs> or elbows and yep. trying not to spread too many germs. But uh we're gonna be seeing friends uh Kind of getting our last minute things together, uh, arriving with our things so that on Thursday morning, the 26th, um, we can be setting up and getting ready uh, for our event. So two weeks from now, uh, as you're listening, uh, we will be seeing you in Chicago. Um, And if any of you uh, have any questions in on um, or have any questions about the event, go ahead and email us. Um, Hopefully, if you've emailed, you've gotten your questions answered, um, and we'll have uh, the pack and some new updated stuff closer to the event, so you have a little bit of time to read it over before the event. But mostly, if you have your warband, and one correction is you can have up to one ally. You don't have to have an ally, Um, but uh, have that uh, ready, have it painted, um, and we're going to have a great time uh, in the Gibbering Dome, uh, and more on that soon. Um, what else has come out in the news uh, over the past couple of weeks, Pavin? Uh
3: Well, a new fact has dropped like a bomb on the Warcry community. Uh, now I'm over exaggerating, but they did explicitly resolve the see- sneaky stab controversy of 2019. Um, wow. And so, if for if you go back and listen a couple episodes, we initially. Talk about Sneaky Stab, which is the Gloomspite with its quad ability, which works exactly like Rampage. So bonus move, bonus attack. But it it gives additional damage. And my initial reading of this rule was it does the value of the dice in damage to each for the next attack for each hit or critical hit. So if you have three hits, um, it will be and you roll and it's a quad three. It's nine additional damage um i've since we since did a bunch of research and i've now read it the I, I then read it the other way where it's just you just add that damage once no matter what so instead uh, at three hits it would just be three additional damage um and i had to do a very embarrassing correction on the next show um lost a lot of credibility there
2: uh yeah.
3: but now yeah. they fact it it's the other way it was how i originally thought it was it is for each crit and critical hit you add the damage for the next attack action
0: I do think we need you to apologize for apologizing.
3: <laughs> yeah, I take it back. It won't that, happen again.
1: So, <laughs> uh, See, I thought it was interesting that uh, they made that clarification because it, it indicates that anything that says hit or critical hit doesn't necessarily have to say each. And it's still supposed yeah. to, uh, to apply to everything. So Yeah,
3: yeah the, 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 each, <laughs> the each distinction was bull poopy this whole time. Yeah,
2: apparently. Uh, yeah, it
3: was, <laughs> it was the old, uh, oh, God. Uh, yeah, we were, you know, we were being way too academic about the rules, maybe. But uh, I'm glad they clarified it. And it seems like their intention was consistent. Um, I do, you know, my own perspective is I hope they do a general balancing pass of the game. This move is an outlier. Honestly, what I, after this ruling, I still play it the way where it's weaker because I don't it's not a feel good moment for the game when you just like can just remove a piece off the board anywhere because it's a squig hopper. So it has like almost infinite reach and it can touch everything and get rid of it. And it's not, and like already the move is good and that's good enough for me. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's the news. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Any other, um, pieces come out in the FAQ that were surprises or, um, Good for good good changes. You remember?
3: Um, there were, I mean, there were some things that were like misprints, uh, or things that the community thought were misprints, and they like fixed those. Like there were some. I think there was a skaven leader that was undercosted, and there was a squig herder that was way overcosted. Mm-hmm. I think the the community was already correcting for those, assuming they were misprints. But it was good to have clarification there. Um, I think uh, a couple of new miniatures got rune marks changed so they were playable.
2: Yep. Um okay. I think those Spherynx. were like
3: those were like typos yeah. or mis- or like kind of just mistakes rather yeah. than clarifications.
1: Yeah clarifying that the spheranx and the formaroid crusher are allies, not
0: monsters. Well yeah they they added that uh to the al- they updated the ally table to include uh the beast of chaos. Yep. Um but yeah you can just put your, your formaroid crusher into your uh, Warband war as an ally. That's great.
1: Yep. And they added all the, the new war bands to the, to the table. So you could tell which allies and everybody
0: could take. Them, Absolutely. So. Cause yeah, there is a, a logical step to take to that, but uh, mm-hmm. it's the icons me require you to be more explicit. So that that's what we got. So very cool. And it was nice to have that FAQ and, and you know, have that support like, you know, like all the GW games do. So uh, Definitely. we're one of the big kids. Again, feeling groovy. All right. Yeah. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be uh, trying to complete our victory condition uh, talking about Stormcast and the Spike Gets. We'll be back. The victory condition is coming up. But before we recorded our thoughts here on the podcast, we discussed them on our Discord channel, an inclusive, creative place to share your own path to glory and a circle of paint. Come join us for conversations before they become topics on the podcast at themortalrealms.com forward slash discord. Time to get back onward to victory. Welcome back. Our victory condition this episode is to bring focus to two of the warbands that we've been playing over the past months, the Stormcast Vanguard and the Gloomspite Gits. We're going to focus a lot on the warbands' aesthetic, their feel on the table, the narrative, um, and uh, we'll talk about various fighters, their play style and role on the table, and our hope is that you uh, fall in love with these warbands like we have. Now, we realize that these two warbands are... Considered to be the strongest of the first season, uh, specifically for competitive play. And we'll address some of that at the end after we've talked about the details of both of these. So if this is something you've uh, considered or thought of, we have some thoughts and feelings on that and are excited to share those towards the end. To kick it off, I'm going to talk about my experience with the Stormcast Vanguard. We're going to each share our thoughts and opinions both uh, from my point of view, having played them as a war band and certainly from Josh and Pavens from playing against them. Um, and so uh, we'll, we'll kick it off first talking about kind of the appearance, aesthetic and impression of the army. Now for me, this was the first age of Sigmar army that uh, I was all in on at release. Um, and uh, the thing that caught me off guard or what, what, stole my heart first and foremost were the Paladors, and these are stormcast cavalry uh where they're riding these large bird horses um and uh, the speed and the agility and the motion that they had was uh was interrapturing I, it was the first time we'd seen for me i felt like saw that kind of motion and energy uh, captured in the models um the hunters are great with their, their fur cloaks, uh, their axes and, uh, Stormbolt, uh, crossbows and, uh, all in all the, you know, the war, the, uh, specifically also the, the aquilor, you know, and those sorts of things. So really cool models in this, um, army and then having, um, specifically these guys as one of the first releases for Warcry uh, to me made sense. Uh, and we'll talk, I guess we'll talk about how that made sense, but. I was very happy to see this aesthetic um, and being able to to take the models that I had and play that in Warcry. So that was my first impression of the this style of army, um, et cetera. Um, Josh, what were your feelings about you know kind of the aesthetic of this army?
1: I I agree with you on a lot of points. I really like the the fur capes and and uh, the animals. You know, I, I often play rangers and role playing games, and 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 I love the the dynamic, uh, you know, motion of the mounted creatures and all the different, uh, I guess, diverse elements you could play with. So definitely, it was, it, made, it made perfect sense too. As the first, you know, release for Warcries, their scouts, the rangers it makes sense. They're in the eight points doing things. So, really liked how they looked.
0: Paven, what was your thought aesthetically?
3: Um, when they were first revealed as one of the starting. Warbands bands for Warcry, I was super pumped. Like I think they are a great fit for the Warcry setting in the eight points. Like I think um and I think I'll talk about this later, but for all of the non-Chaos war bands, um, if you're playing your Warcry games in the eight points, and you don't have to, but if you are, I think there should be some justification, like what the heck they're doing there. And I think the Vanguard are a super natural fit to be in the eight points, it's like scouts and rangers and kind of debops. You know, it, it makes sense that they would totally be messing stuff up and doing it doing investigations and missions and eight points. And I think that's a really cool aesthetic to be able to play with. Perfect. And that takes
0: us right into kind of the next point. What drives them? You know, what are their ideals? Um, the Stormcasts obviously come from Azir. They're part of Sigmar's army um, and Sigmar's army is vast and there's a, a ton of different roles uh, for Stormcast in uh, his army. And the Vanguard in, pers- in particular, obviously, as their name suggests, they're the forward troops. They're scouts. They're rangers. They're going to see where the trouble is, how it's moving. They're staying out of sight. They're not necessarily engaging. Um, they are the epitome of the skirmishing kind of shock troops or um, you know, doing a little bit of um, guerrilla fighting and that sort of thing. And again, uh, makes it a great pair for for Warcry. The the quest that is in the core rulebook for the Stormcast Vanguard is uh, post Necroquake, where the storm vaults have uh, some of them have broken open, that the penumbral engines have malfunctioned, and the secrets that they were hiding have uh, either been revealed or put them in danger of being revealed. And in this uh, quest, um, they are, are asked to come and um, uh, go and find these storm vaults and uh, secure the, the objects inside of them, bring them back to Azir before the forces of chaos um, discover them and use them. Um, so I very much, I mean, these guys feel like, you know, Navy SEALs, SEAL Team 6, um, all of those kind of covert uh, ops, um, special forces types of uh, uh, troops, um, uh, and you guys both, you know, kind of echoed that talking about, you know, rangers like Aragorn or um, uh, what's his, yeah, just anybody who's uh, rogue and sneaky and all that kind of stuff, uh, and able to get where where a big army is going to have a hard time getting. Um, I imagine these guys, um, you know, taking long. Uh, going on long trips, taking very little with them, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just surviving, uh, in the harshest of environments, uh, with their heavy, bright armor and, uh, and <laughs> fur cloaks, <laughs> uh,
3: Eric, er, uh re- real quick, Eric, yeah. was there another ranger you were looking for to try to give an example? Cause I would love to try to guess.
0: Yeah, right. go ahead. Yeah, to go ahead. You, yes.
3: help you find that name.
0: Yeah. who Go ahead, get, lay some names on. Well, me. no, Here no, no. Yeah,
3: can you give me a clue? <laughs> oh, I,
0: I was thinking of um, uh, from D and D, the guy with the panther and the double uh, swords.
3: Oh, oh Dred Stuart uh, Warden. Yeah, there you go.
0: Yep, yep. So they just feel like skirmishing forces. I always think of like, um, is it the quarrelers from the old dwarven range? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have their crossbows and and that sort of stuff. Like they just feel like they're a little foresty. Um, mm-hmm. They're out in the, to jump into the kind of the lore. um, I did ask our uh, discord um, down in our kind of stories and lore. Let me see if I can. uh, um, A couple of the novels that uh, were brought up. um, Black Talon has a novel uh, that has a lot of the Vanguard. Uh, Dos Asos, Aaron uh, recommended dirge of dust and steel. And then also that black pyramid has some Vanguard in it as well. Um, so there are a few books, novels and, um, uh, short stories that do have the Vanguard in it. If you want to check those out. Um, and you know, there's very much kind of, again, that sense that they're out in the wilderness for a very long time. Uh, they haven't been back to Azir or they haven't maybe reported back to a cell uh, P- a Lord Celestine in a very long time uh, and uh, they likely have to make a lot of decisions about what to do on the fly. Uh, they have to be trusted to kind of assess the situation and know when to um, maybe uh, send somebody back to report uh, to know and make judgments on what is actually happening activities that the enemy is doing or trying to fake them out. Uh, And then sometimes they have to know when to engage uh, and maybe without being able to get reports, you know, direct from Azir or from a a higher up officer. Uh, And so it just feels like they're a very trusted uh, type of force out into uh, in uh, Sigmar's army. Now that we've talked about the background and lore, how much we love Rangers and kind of the the soldier who has to be out in the wilderness for a long time make uh, tight decisions. Let's talk about the specific fighters that are available for this war band. Um, the first and foremost, and maybe most recognizable are the Vanguard Raptors and the Raptors come in two types. Uh, there are the Raptor long strikes, which are a, uh, have a much greater range, um, up to 20 inches. Let's see. The, no oh, yeah yeah. Uh, up to 20 inches and then we also have the Vanguard Raptor hurricane crossbows which have a f- uh, up to 15 inch range. Um, both of these uh, have a leadership or a leader option um, and um, tend to be maybe one of the most uh, recognizable or you know kind of the one people uh, kind of are afraid of the most, I guess uh, because they and in season one, uh, this kind of range was very rare. and so this stands out to have a, have at least two, uh, two different fighter types that have that kind of range. Next, we have the Vanguard hunter, which is a more melee oriented uh, um, unit, but also has uh, some shooting, some decent shooting as a, as a secondary option. Um, that also has a hunter prime or leader option. Then there are two beasts, um, uh, well, and only one of them is considered to be a beast, and that is the Griffhound, uh, which has a very strong uh, melee attack. And then we have the Aetherwing, which uh, is not considered to be a beast. Uh, interestingly enough, is able to open doors. Um, not that it ever needs to go through doors, um, which may be why they didn't bother to put that on there, but has a very uh, weak profile. Let's go through the abilities, uh, and you can see what those abilities are. And then we'll go, once we get into the the strengths and that sort of stuff themselves, um, we can call out the different uh, fighters uh, and what role they play, etc. So let's start with the doubles. Uh, The first double that the Stormcast Vanguard get, Tireless Hunter gives them a boost to movement for one of their actions. Um, And they use the the value of the dice, add half of it uh, to that movement, uh, so basically, on a one or two, it's, it's not as good as Rush. Uh, if you have a double that's a three or four, it's similar to Rush, but situationally better because you can put uh, that plus two movement on one action instead of spreading it across two. Um, on a five or six, you get a plus three movement to one of your uh, uh, movements, uh, actions, and that's considerably better uh, than a Rush. So it's nice to have kind of that extra boost to one move action. Uh, that means that it's going to get you a little bit closer if you have to use it, want to use your second action to attack or shoot or do something else. Now the second doubles ability is warning cry. This lets an aether wing, uh, move out and kind of a target within a certain distance and kind of calls them out or like lets it so that the, the rest of the Vanguard can see that that enemy fighter better maybe they're hiding in a bush or around a corner or whatever and it gives anybody uh uh targeting that fighter re-rolling ones uh so uh it isn't one that i've come across that i use very often but once in a while when you just need to kind of stack things in your favor make things a little bit more easy for your um your ranged fighters to uh, put wounds on something that that's a good one to go to um and then righteous aura um, is a leader-only ability uh, for a double. You add plus one toughness to all friendly fighters within a six-inch radius. Um, now, four storm casts themselves that start off at a toughness of five, boosting them up to six can be all right. It's not the most helpful. I think where it shines is in um, making uh, Aether Wings um, go from a two to a three, which might make them just survive a little bit longer. Or Griffhounds moving them from a 4 to a 5. So if you've got a Faithful Hound next to the leader, um, that's going to make that Griffhound harder to, to hit and take down, which is important for melee and, and for doing that kind of work. For their triples, we have a Darting Attack. Um, this one is specific to the Griffhounds. It allows them to make a bonus attack and then a bonus disengage action. Um, this one's very interesting. It basically would allows you to... Uh, If you need to run in, you know, use your first activation to get someplace, make an attack action. This will let you make a second attack action and then run away so you don't get attacked back. So again, helps that survivability. Or in the case where that uh, Griffhound has been rushed, then it allows them to get three um, attack actions in, which can be um, kind of puts them over the top uh, at times of being able to take enemies out. The other triple, um, which is uh, can be very clutch again. Uh, Max, you can see some trends here. Maximizing um, a single action, um, so that you know, often we have economies of of actions, um, and so if if they have to take up one action movement or one action uh, disengaging, then some of these abilities allow them to kind of make the one action that they can use to attack much stronger. So this is a rapid fire. It adds half the dice value to specifically the hurricane shooting, so it allows them to kind of burst fire um, and uh, that allows them to do, use the weight of dice to do more damage. And then the quad is, probably, uh, is fun and is probably the one people fear the most. And this is aimed strike, and this is for the long strike. And it allows them to add the value of the dice to the damage points uh, for that attack. So that uh, means that uh, a Vanguard Raptor long Strike starts with a 4-10 damage profile. And so if you have a, a, a quad 6, that moves it up to a 10-16 damage profile, um, which they get one attack, uh, which probably makes it one of the strongest damage profiles for a single uh, crit or, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um but it is uh, one of those that uh, is high risk, high reward. Um, sometimes it's just better to go for Rampage. Um, so those are their abilities. You can see, like I said, I think that they um, they skew towards making a single action more powerful, um, which can be helpful if you're using one of your actions to move, to position, to get out of the way, to disengage, etc. Um did any of those uh, abilities stand out to you guys uh, in uh, in playing against the Stormcast?
1: Um, I think, well, the, the, one of the things I really like about the abilities is I do think they reflect the role of the Warband well. You know, like the Tireless Hunter with the extra movement. You can picture that with a Ranger, you know, and the Aetherwing, Morning Cry, you know, the Griffhound's ability to attack and then dart away. Uh, I think it's really flavorful. I, I really love the the theme that it gives the Warband.
0: Yeah, Paven, how about you?
3: Um, No, I think we've only played one game against each other. And I don't remember. uh, He just crushed you too badly. He doesn't feel it. It was a very very fun game. It was very close. Um, But I don't remember the ability specifically, any of them sticking out. Reading the list, um, the ones that seem strong to me are the darting attack, uh, because a triple for two actions is very efficient. And that rapid fire, um, and I'm wondering if that if that tracks with your experience, like those being the ones you're saving dice for.
0: Absolutely. Um, with some warbands, bands, you want more doubles. Like my untamed beasts want more doubles. So sometimes you're looking at the singles and like, should I move that to a double? Um, with these, with this war band, you're very much trying to move a double to a triple. Um, and uh, and in the case of uh, tireless hunter and the rapid fire the higher the number on that double or or triple is the better um in the case of the the darting attack what's great is if you get a double one you can still use that ability and so it has a nice mix of caring about the number and not caring about the number so mm-hmm. uh, but yeah those triples are definitely what i'm skewing for or aiming for when we were rolling dice um awesome.
2: So, so, yeah, so
1: now tell us a little bit about uh, the strengths and weaknesses and, and how you uh, like to play these particular models.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, the, the, the strengths are kind of in this order. First is the quality of, of damage or the quality and the, the peak of damage at range. Obviously this, like I mentioned, this was you very unique in the first season uh, to have two different uh, fighter types that could, project you know over eight inches with the hurricane uh, at 15 inches with a, a two six damage profile and um the long strike with a four ten profile and specifically the long strike having a five strength um kind of makes it a, a very strong at being able to project that where you want it to go next i think the strength is having kind of the counterbalance to those ex- more expensive uh, stormcast models um, uh, is having the cheap utility model in the Aether wing specifically. Um, when you can kind of, and you might consider this, call this a min-max, right? You, you do a, uh, kind of, you take your your max powerful thing, and then you pair it with your minimum powerful thing that's cheaper, and that gives you some balance there. So the the Aether wing gives you um, for 45 points, you get a very weak uh, <laughs> model. But, um, you know, you get uh, a few of those on the table. They add the uh, activations you need to to kind of work against uh, warbands that have more models. So if you can use these guys sometimes to use Aetherwing, it's easy to use one action to wait. And then the other action to move 10 inches, because they move so fast, uh, to an objective or um, to block somebody from using their uh, activation. So they're very efficient in and utility in that in that regard um pairing with that the aetherwing have that high movement as do the griffhounds with uh, a 6 inch move um so that just gives them you know the stormcast are uh, themselves are 4 inch movement and so to have these other units that can move faster uh, kind of lets them keep up with some of those other high movement uh, warbands um Third, then is a decent melee. Um, you do depend on the Griffhounds and the Vanguard hunters to do your melee damage. Um, I think more so the Griffhounds, because they're just a little bit cheaper and they can move faster to get where you need them to go. And so having that uh melee definitely gives like to have both shooting and melee be strong. Um and by strong I mean like Rock Tusk prowler type uh strength, maybe a little less. Um but strong enough is, and especially with that, uh, darting attack, being able to give them that for a triple, giving them extra attack. Um, and then, uh, I think lastly, the strength is having the, the toughness five storm cast. And I think, uh, toughness five is also a rarity in the first season. Um, I think it's even somewhat rare in the second, in this most recent release. Um, and is kind of that sweet spot where it just kind of makes most things hit you on fives and sixes. Um, and there's a few things they can do to, to boost that. Like I said, the, the righteous aura lets them boost that up to a six, which isn't as important, um, because it's still hitting on fives and sixes. Uh, and tonight I was playing a game where, um, a witch hag, uh, used her quad to make everybody plus dice strength. Uh, <laughs> and so even at, uh, I think I did have righteous aura up. So even at toughness six, I was still getting hit on threes with that. So, um, what there's not as much uh, once you get beyond toughness five with the current spread of abilities um, you know I think you're that's kind of the sweet spot so yeah mm-hmm. any anything I la- left out or anything you guys uh, picked up on
1: no I think you covered it there So definitely the things I think about too when I'm considering uh, how
0: to address those particular advantages I will say I do think one of the strengths being that range is a defining kind of, it puts it in people's minds and defines the army for the, for most people. Um, and specifically the uniqueness of the long strike being uh, 20 inches and having a, a crit damage of 10 base um, means, I think uh, that when, and we'll talk about this more later, but I think that that stands out when you're shoot that one dice, when you're rolling one dice to try and do, you're most often hitting on threes because of the five strength, uh, so you're most likely going to do four damage, uh, an active dirt for each action. Um, uh, when you hit that six and get that crit, it's very memorable uh, because somebody just did ten damage to one of your models, likely wiped out, you know, your your chaff models or your activation models, or, or one of them, uh, and you remember that. So I think that sticks in your head. However, uh, when they miss or when they whiff altogether. Uh, or do just four damage that's not as memorable um, so uh, I think they have that kind of very spiky unique thing that that becomes a defining feature for the army even so that I think more people focus on that long strike than on like the hurricanes which i think put out more damage um, uh, over the course of a game than than the long strike does so uh, it's an interesting uh, could, and that could also be a strength in that, that long strike becomes a little bit of a decoy. Maybe um, becomes where people focus their attention most, um, and and keeps it off of your other models. So that's kind of a maybe a turn there to use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. All right. Weaknesses. Uh, let's talk about there. And I think here's where we could talk a little bit um, about um, uh, some some counter strategies to them. First off, uh, while the Aetherwing... wing. Are a fantastic utility model, and they can be used for a lot of different things. Um, they are a six wound toughness two model, um, and outside of you know maybe pillow fighting with your your you know low ruined chaff models, um, because you know uh, even a, a my favorite planes runners aren't going to take one of these off maybe in one turn. Um, they are very easy for most middle and uh, high range models to kill. And it's an easy way to, to, to take the advantage, the, uh, to take ad activation advantage away from the storm cast and ob- other things like objective disadvantage. And if uh, they could do great at aetherwing, do great at grabbing treasure, but again, can be killed pretty easily um, if you can catch them. So um, that's one aspect they uh, There, The Hurricane, the both of the Raptors have a minimum range. Uh, It's three inches for the Hurricane and it's six inches for the uh, long strike. So if you can get within six inches of the long strike, he can't shoot you with that. He can't shoot that fighter with his crossbow. If you get into engagement with either of those model types, then they are forced to punch you to death. Uh, And neither of them have a very strong uh, punch it's like a one 4 damage profile. So they're going to be kind of pillow fighting with uh, anything that comes at them. Um, and then last would be if there's line of sight blocking on the table uh, would, you know, so when they're, so I'll back up when they're engaged, then it often forces a disengage for them to be able to shoot anything and be useful that turn. Um, so that's great for moving them and making them reposition. Same with line of sight blocking. Um, unfortunately there isn't a ton of line of sight blocking with the ability to shoot through grates or, you know, if you can see them through, uh, terrain, then you can shoot them. Um, and, uh, so, but if you have more line of sight blocking, um, you know, that big head is fantastic for line of sight blocking. Um, a couple of the walls are solid. Those are fantastic. And requires swamp trees. So anytime they have line of sight blocking, that forces them to move a whole lot more (laughs) to, you know, to get shots off. Uh, We played a game with a big tower in the middle of the table um, and uh, you know, our three player game. And if you hide behind the tower, Stormcast can't do much to you. So any other um, weaknesses or, or kind of things that, that uh, you guys found playing against them that you that you felt like you could kind of pin them here or there.
3: First is like as counterplay. Like I think it's very important to if you can um, just put models in engagement with the uh, with the raptors. Um, it really like they're really not nearly as powerful in hand to hand, and you're just like taking so much damage potential like out of the turn. Yep. That um, that is like kind of essential counterplay. And the other thing, and I think sometimes, I don't know, maybe this isn't, doesn't, it doesn't always add into the conversation, is that there are some pretty brutal twists in the twist deck for shooting heavy warbands. Oh, yeah. In a way that doesn't exist for melee. Um, like you can only shoot if it's three inches or less all game, like it's night, nighttime, you know, yeah. Chaos Knights. Um, yeah. that's That, getting that is like, woof. That is, nope. I, I don't know if, if that's a balancing card, like, or like what, but like there's high variation there. And then there's also ones that are tough, but not as strong, like minus one attack and minus one strength for all shooting, shooting attacks, which I think Josh got in the game against me. Yep. Uh, and so just being like, if you're going to min max the direction of range, like you're, you're probably going to take a couple losses just when you draw those cards. Um And don't you Absolutely. dare put those cards back in the deck. <laughs> like, you play, it out. You play it out you try to win you punch, you punch oh you do kick and you bite you i think the
0: <laughs> i think the one um i think it was the six inch one uh where i think i ruled really with with my partner or with my opponent that the the long strike like you had to be at exactly six inches um yeah. in order to to shoot them so it was a lot of that and uh yeah and and yeah you do just play them uh play it that way and that that uh, long strike becomes just a a lead weight uh, on the battlefield um, because it can't do much. So um, I, I, and you're totally right. I mean, and you can use your weakest models to chaff up the Raptors because they cannot punch that hard. Um, They have uh, three attacks strength four, which is average and a one, four damage profile. So, they are unlikely to be able to kill even, you know, a planes runner in in one act of, one action. Um, it is way better for them to move to disengage for an action rather than to try and punch something. But if you're not thinking about it, if you don't know about it, so I always try and point that out when I play somebody for the first time with them. Is it mm. to tell them get get within either their minimum range or engage them with something uh, your fast thing and you'll tie them up. So,
1: yeah. um, I think one of the other weaknesses is that, or well, it's more of a design strategy that you know, this particular warband really forces you to take the Griffhounds and the Aether Wings to balance out numbers because otherwise, if you just take Stormcast, you're going to be a very small force, it's very expensive. So, you really got to take you got to spread it around a little bit,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think for you being want to. Yep, and I and I do think that um, they do have, um, and especially with that new box that came out, like they do have the variety to make it interesting. And they and I take uh, a little bit of everything. Um, you know, my uh, my starting list was one long strike, one raptor, one um, hunter, one griffhound, and I think it's four aetherwing. It might be five, but I think it's four aetherwing. Um, so there I have eight models on the table. And I, th- I feel like eight is a really good start. Um, you know, six to eight. Six is on the low side. If you can get to ten to start with, that's a lot, right? Um, uh, so there, the, there are ways that they get around some of those weaknesses or the ways that, that they have to, you know, as a player that you try and minimize those weaknesses. Um, for instance, keep a Griffhound with a Raptor. Uh, So if they do get charged or engaged with that you have something that's melee focused to help them clear it off. Um, uh, But I guess we'll talk. I've got a little spot for that a little bit later because there's a couple of builds that I think uh, one that um, that I use. And then one I think is that has a little bit of those harder uh, things to, to, to counter. Um, So use on the battlefield, like I said, uh, the Raptors, want long range and they want to see as much of the battlefield as possible. So get them on high ground, um, take out forward fighters. So if you can get them on high ground, turn one and and take off one fighter of your opponents uh, that might be out in the open. That's fantastic as they're trying to run towards objectives, etc. and get, you know what they do have some spike damage. So if you just got one shot on somebody before, you know, they're going to move off the table. That's that's, or move to into cover or something like that. That's great. Um, the hurricanes get a weight of dice with great damage. Uh, uh, so I like them to be in the middle of the table where they're going to be able to get within range of things fairly easily with one move and then at least one, uh, attack, uh, at dist- at range. Mm-hmm. Um, the hunters are tough and I actually chose my, my first, uh, leader to be a hunter prime because I wanted this. Forward fighter to be running into combat and, and the primes get 30 wounds um, and so I thought that was fantastic for um, somebody who's coming into melee and is is going to be kind of in the thick of it very often so um, and they are really tough and they they do they do uh, the same kind of their uh, um, four attacks strength four two four uh, damage profile um, uh, for their melee same as the the griffhounds. Um, and the Griffhounds, um, they do, I, th- I think that they, I'm trying to think of their, um, I compared them to the Rock Tusk Prowler, who I've played the most. Rock Tusks are 180, Griffhounds are 150. Um, they have one more attack, and they are one less damage on the crit uh, than a Griffhound. Um, and they have two less movement than a Griffhound, or sorry, the Griffhound has two less movement than the Rock Tusk Prowler. So um, they're a little bit cheaper. They're not quite as fast, and they don't have as high a spike of damage. Um, but uh, they have one more attack. And I think that, that can help them fish for those uh, crits and, and that sort of stuff. And then with that darting attack, uh, that just gives them the ability to you know make another attack, same way that the rock tusk has the B speaker to be able to activate it. This way they can activate on their own and they can get out of harm's way. So I think that is generally a more powerful double than what the Rock Tusk gets. Um, but just used in a different way. Um, triple, right? The darting attack is definitely a triple. Sorry about okay. that. The Rock Tusk has a similar, it's called a pounce. Yep. Which lets you do, you know, this the dice um, uh, in damage when you end a movement uh, next to a model. Um, so there's some potential that that is more reliable, I guess. You know exactly what you're getting out of it. Uh, the Aether Wing, I think there are certain games, obviously, where it feels like the Aether Wing are the MVPs. So, whether that's the, certainly the tr- um, treasure hunting, uh, whether that's objective grabbing, and you wouldn't think that they'd be great on objectives, but because they can wait, they can come onto objective after the objective has been, like the models that have moved to the objective have already activated. So, they can come into objective without getting uh retaliated on which can be very strong um and uh yeah so it's kind of their roles on the battlefield and and ways that that they they can be utilized um and there are kind of i play like i mentioned i have a little bit of everything and that lets me kind of learn more about the warband and how the different models work lets me kind of think about as i add more models to the warband or can put some more on the table now Stormcast are pretty expensive, so it's not going to be very easy to add a ton more Stormcast to the Warband. Uh, most likely, I'm going to be growing out some more Griffhounds and maybe a, an, a, an extra Aether Wing here and there as the points kind of free up and there's just gaps. Um, but at most, I'm probably going to end up running four Stormcast models and then uh, the animals. Besides uh, running a very mixed. Uh, There's kind of two ways that I've played. So when I've weighted it, I have weighted it towards, you know, a couple of Raptors and then a bunch of more Aetherwing to put six Aetherwing on the table uh, to weigh it more towards kind of activation wars, uh, having them swoop around and uh, stay alive to get on uh, objectives to grab treasure. So if if you know you're going into that or if you want to play towards that game style. Um, that can be a lot of fun to have the Aether Wings on the table. It's going to put you at an advantage on those. But if you get into, uh, you know, against another shooting warband, or if you get against a a fast, um, high damage warband, then those Aether Wings are going to get killed really fast and your, uh, Raptors are going to have very little to do, uh, with their two activations, uh, in the last turn. Um... The other one, which is uh, one that I think our friend uh, Ben from the League Knights has experienced down uh, where he's played some more competitive um, spaces, and that is having kind of a huddle of Stormcast Raptors in the middle of the board with Griffhounds. Um, and you know what that does is it means that some of those weaknesses, like being able to shut off uh, Stormcast by getting engaged with them, Gets negated because the Griffhounds are there to clear them out. Uh, being in the middle of the board and kind of a huddle, they can boost their toughness. Um, and then uh, the experience that um, our friend Ben had in that competitive environment is that they can put together a list where they have more than one Hurricane on the board with a Griffhound turn one, and uh, they can you know get the right board set up and they can take off maybe one or two models right in first turn and you know if 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 you're not don't have all your models on the table first turn and they're coming in round two round three it just puts you starts putting you at a activation disadvantage pretty quick against them if they're putting that power out first turn Um, so kind of getting some insight it took some time talking with him and, and experimenting with these to see that there are kind of a couple of those builds that make them kind of really high difficulty to play against at a competitive level um but yeah so those are those are some of the the things that have come out of it any uh thoughts on that from you guys uh in terms of kind of tactics you've seen or heard about as they relate to this warband
1: uh i've heard a variety of things i've heard people you know stocking up on hurricanes and other people stocking up on griffhounds or Aether Wings. so you know i think you strike the a nice balance where you've got a little bit of everything so you can optimize the missions and, and what pops up and, and handle whatever comes at you. So I
0: definitely think that's a good approach from a background's point of view. I went with uh, purple uh, armored astral Templars, and that was because of a little book called Hamilcar bear eater. Um, and uh, about a, a Celestin prime with such an ego uh, and self-awareness of that ego um, uh, that uh, he got himself uh, sent back to Azir, ear, corrupted, uh, and then got uh, turned into a, a Knight Questor um, by Sigmar himself. Um, a very interesting kind of character uh, that I think has stolen a lot of hearts, uh, if you read any of the fiction. The reason I had done that when I had started my original AOS army I had done um, uh, anvils of hammer because of the black armor. And I was thinking, you know, they made me think of black ops and shyish and all that kind of stuff. And later we find out more about that, what the anvils are about. And it didn't quite fit, but uh, I did a lot of like uh, space wolf heads and uh, witch, um, drukari witch heads, um, more feral or primal um, head swaps. And I didn't give any of them helmets because Again, I kind of wanted these guys to be a little more rugged. They take their helmet off a bit more. They breathe air around them. Uh, you know, they, they, they don't like to be as, as concealed in. Um, more untamed. I, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think design wise, uh, you know, in the same way that uh, some of the new space marine, um, the infiltrators and whatnot have kind of a lighter armor to them. Uh, Than the main stormcast, um, or sorry, the main space marines. <laughs> I thought I thought these guys would have been good to have lighter armor, um, but they didn't. They gave them the full plate, and so when I painted these guys, I actually painted up some of the, their what would normally be metallic armor as leather armor. So, some of like the around the um, abdomen where it kind of shows their abs. I imagine that very much easily could have been just a leather formed type of thing. And some of their gauntlets and that sort of stuff being uh, much more uh, leather-based to make it more flexible, make it lighter, uh, maybe earth tones to make it less reflective, etc. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so I've, uh, yeah, that's how I've been enjoying them and enjoy painting them. Um, mm-hmm. Other ideas or takes on this army that you think somebody could take since this is a small warband, they pick up the $50 box. Um, and, uh, they get their, their hunters, they get their raptors, they get their aether wing, um, pick up a box of griffhounds, uh, and get started. What are some, uh, different themes uh, that have come to your guys' minds? Uh, Pavin, do you have any, uh, kind of ideas of how you'd paint up this warband or, or bash this warband if, uh, if you were getting into it?
3: Definitely do. And I'm still in the podcast. It was touch and go there for a second, but I'm here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thought I maybe yeah, lost
0: uh, you in the, in the tall grass.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I think I said before that I think there is an opportunity to answer the question what the hell is anybody doing in the eight points if you're not already like falling to the chaos gods? And I think the Vanguard have a lot of cool answers to the question. One that I came up with is like, you know, they all lean towards like s- s- fantasy special ops kind of guys um, and i think one cool take on that would be like a, a squad of like demon hunters that are specifically in the eight points to um you know uh, kick demon butts and uh just you know you uh, I think you really want to dirty up any storm storm cast that is spending a lot of time in the eight points because I'm sure it's a, it's messy business but especially dirty these guys up and give them like cool trophies they could carry around with different demon bits um, I don't know if those are bloodletter horns or plague bearer eyeballs or something they, you know
1: they have demon skulls in the
3: skulls box that's true uh skulls box oh good oh' good for the bits yeah and so that's a that's a, full, a cool concept in uh I don't know mod- modeling opportunity to lean into uh, yeah that, that's my, that's my one idea I don't maybe I'll think of another one
1: Yeah, I was thinking, uh, you know, obviously with with any of these uh, warbands, you can kind of go with a realm theme. And I I think, you know, with the Stormcast, they have different orders and different locations. So, you know, painting the armor and and colors to match the particular order you really like is a a great idea, too. But, yeah, I think any of the kind of realm themes would be a lot of fun. Going Grrr, obviously, you get more furs and things like that. I don't know how Makara came from that particular area. Yep. So, lots of potential
0: yeah i actually went so far into when i bought my army that i converted hunters into liberators and hunters into judicators uh because i loved the the cape theme so much uh or the fur cape and gave some of them hoods and all that kind of stuff so all right let's take a break and when we come back uh we'll talk about the gloom spike Gets. We wanted to give a quick shout out to all the patrons of the mortal realms in our triumvirate of podcasts, dogs of war cry, what the hex, and the OG mortal Realms story phase with your support. We can spread the mortal realms brand of positive energy throughout the community. If you want to become a patron of the mortal realms, go to the mortal realms.com forward slash Patreon. Now back to the show. Haven, hey let's talk about the Gloomspite Gits. Um, what were your first impressions about the appearance of the army or the mood of the army and all that jazz when they came out?
3: So um, my modern experience with the Gloomspite Gits uh, is the that Christmas teaser slash January release last year. Um, it was something that they had talked about a lot or that we had hinted at a lot. And I was super happy with kind of the refresh that that Age of Sigmar model line got where – it was really taking kind of the heart and soul of the old uh kind of favorite night goblin aesthetic from warhammer fantasy and it, it, growing that into the age of sigmar lore giving them some real crazy moon to chase after and a bunch of really great plastic miniatures um the highlights were the mangler squig was amazing the gobble i've talked about on many a podcast i really enjoyed those models but like the new fanatics uh, Trogoths. Just a really a really great and fun release. Um, so that was my first impression and I was totally pumped when they were coming to Warcry as one of the, the first war bands because I was in the middle of expanding that collection. I picked up the Loon Curse box which was the Sylvaneth Spike combo box and I was in the middle of painting that so um, I was happy to get my newly painted stuff into the game and play the game I was really excited for and didn't have to adjust my hobby plans at all so super pumped loved it josh what were your impressions
1: i'm a big fan of the goblin aesthetic and uh, i think they they look really small mean and malicious but in a very humorous way so i, I thought it was a really fun to see them come to Warcry, cry and you know the squigs i think are just a, a great uh humorous aspect to the to the the model range and, and they're small and vicious but cute at the same time. So it was, it was really great to kind of see them come and, um, but I am glad they're not fanatics. Those things are vicious.
0: <laughs> I thought um, again, like similar to the Paladors, like the Boingrots and um, the, the squid and, and the mangler squid were tons of motion, tons of like kinetic energy packed into these static models. And, while I didn't go all in on an army, I definitely got the Loon Curse box and uh, painted up some. And uh, I have a big conversion in mind for the the Mangler Squig, but the old um, Squig Riders always looked like, um, you know, those those kid those balls with the handles on it that kids yep. like jump on and like just bounce on their butts.
1: Exactly. Uh,
0: that's what the old ones looked like. Uh, and these ones look like uh, every single one of them is like a. Uh, it's own carnival ride of craziness. Um, so, um, and the, the ones that have like the night masks or helmets on, uh, also a crazy weird left field aesthetic for these guys. And I think it's really cool. So mm-hmm. I'm fully expecting pavement at some point, you're going to have one of these just big helmets with the big pointy fronts and you're going to wear it into the store sometime, but I haven't seen it yet. No, I can't hear pavement.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yep. <laughs> you said paven. Paven, paven
0: didn't interact with me at all hey. is,
3: is, is this thing on check check
2: check
0: all right paven why don't you tell us about what their ideals are what drives them what kind of god do they worship
3: yeah they uh they they, they worship a moon god um, but mostly what what kind of gets them out of the bed in the morning is petty malice and just <laughs> small, small acts of meanness. They're not they're not big. Either in ambition or in uh, kind of scope, but they are, you know, they're, they're doing their best. They're grinding out. They're a small villain. <laughs> um, other other than that uh i put i have in the notes potions lotions and fungi so they do like brewing up some tasty beverages and snacking on some good good old-fashioned uh uh mushroom so that's kind of that's kind of the theme their theme the house. they're they're pretty they're pretty savage savage group um they're very shamanistic they're mystical they're not very industrial um, but they do have a, a lot of tricks up their sleeves, and there's always more where that came from. Um, so they are a, a, a sneaking um, menace to the
0: mortal realms. With the with the soap or lotion and fungi comment, were they most likely to open a boutique shop? Yeah. It would be. <laughs> God
2: damn it. Yeah. I'm
0: going to stop making jokes. Haven <laughs> doesn't like my jokes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nah. Think, uh, <laughs> you,
1: <laughs> no. you didn't mention you didn't mention what kind of moon they worship. A bad moon, not Luna. I, don't know. Right? I, so,
3: I think size. I might be fading in the stretch here, guys. I just don't know how you want me to react to these things. <laughs> 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 it's true. Uh, Josh, that's a great that's a great clarification. Um, specifically the bad moon. Where they we don't really know the origins from. From um, there's a lot of like kind of oral histories, Grot oral histories about where the moon came from. Like it was like was it contaminated by Gorkamorka to be like uh, evil and destructive? Was it is it a giant egg? Is it like because it contained the souls of all the Grot shamans that have passed? Um, nobody knows for sure. But what they do know is it's this horrible thing that casts. cascades around the sky kind of in an erratic pattern bumping into other things and like appearing out of nowhere. And like every time you look at it, it looks different and it has a, an evil light that turns people into mushrooms. Um, So that's, that's their jam. Nice. Nice.
0: So what um, stories are there? What lore is there out there for these guys?
3: I did hear there's a book called Gloomspite about them. I didn't read it, but
0: And turns out it's pod- not that
3: much about them. <laughs> yeah, But there is a podcast called the Mortal Realms, which did a good book review on it. And I did listen to that and that was cool. Nice, so Check nice. it out. I don't know what episode it was.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of lore about these guys in terms of like stories from their point of view. Uh, I think these guys are due their day, uh, where you just have uh, big balls of teeth coming at you. I, I think we need that story someday. Now, the background, the you know, kind of quirkiness of this army is, I think, is very well known, despite not having a ton of, of novels or stories written about them. Paven, let's get into their war cry abilities. And uh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Should we,
1: should we go to yep, yep. fighters and stuff first again?
0: Yep, I was just going to correct it. Uh, so let's get into this warband. Uh, why don't you tell us about the fighter options available?
3: I'd love to. Um, the Gloom Spike Git's got a lot of really good fighter options, uh, and a lot of they just have a large number of miniatures they can pull from um, that play different roles. Um, for leaders, you have the Grop Box, which is a kind of a small, cheap leader. On foot, and then you have the squig hopper boss and the boingrot bounder boss. So those are two um two goblins riding squigs, very strong, very good bosses, strength five attacks, lots of attacks, very fast, high movement, eight and ten. Um, so those are really good leader selections, and then kind of there's like three groupings of of uh miniatures of fighters you can use. There's like the grots with different um weapons. You have the net, you have the bow, you have the stabba, which is a spear, and you have. Oh, no, the stabba is a. Uh, is this stabba and a polka, or do I have it wrong? Well, you have, like, the hand weapon, sword, and then you have the spear. Um, those are all kind of all cheap, all less. I think 70 is the highest it goes. Um, all the net is 45, which is really efficient for an activation. You're not going to do much damage, but the net is fun to throw on people. And then you have. Um, the Squig, which is a real workhorse, not very fast, but real, like, 15 wounds, a lot of good, a lot of really high strength, high damage attacks. Um, Squigs are real good in Warcry. And then you have the Squig Hoppers, uh, Boingrath Bounders, which are very fast, hit pretty hard, have a decent chunk of wounds, but um, the ability of, of putting, like, a lot of high damage attacks... On, on a body that can move so quickly and fly is a very strong combination. Um, and then they have access to all the destruction allies and the giant spider is a monster. Um, that's, a, that's a quick lowdown on, on most of their fighters.
0: Very cool. Let's get into their abilities. Can you talk, walk us through their doubles, triples, and quad?
3: Yeah, quickly. They have all... They have... All their abilities are good. Some are more situational. Some are just off the charts amazing. Their double is a better onslaught. So it's always plus one attack. Um, But if you are, if the enemy is engaged with another gloom spike gets model, you get plus one strength too. So good. Um, Often squigs have such a high strength of strength five. You don't need it, but like the goblins can need it in certain situations. Um, The other double is, Just for the netters, um, it's on a three up. A fighter within three inches can't move or disengage. Um, So that can be very good if you really need to lock somebody down. Um, It's not guaranteed, but it's a double. You can take a take a guess. You can take a take the risk and and throw the net. Um, Then uh, for our triples, there are three triples. One is boing boing boing, which is the value of the dice gets allocated damage when you make a move with us with some sort of squig rider. So you just, it's called that you just bounce them. Um, so it's good. If you need to guarantee damage, um, the squig hoppers have such good okay. movement that it's really, you can project that damage pretty much all over the board. If you have to, that one's situational, but can be very good. Um, the leader has a stab them good, which I believe is plus one attack within six inches. I don't think I've ever used this once, um, mostly because I always use the squib squib hopper leader and he's usually flying around the board and there's nobody near him because he's trying to like, you know, deliver his, his damage in a specific place. Um, and then the triple herder go that way. This is for the herder model. The herder model is real cheap and it's good because of the access to this triple, which is a free bonus move for a squig, which allows you to move your squig into position, your squig on foot into position, um, to take like a double attack into an enemy, which is very strong for squigs and they're not that fast. So being able to use that triple for the extra action can be very good. And then the quad is the sneaky stab, which is, um, a baseline. Okay. So how it works is, uh, to reiterate, it is like rampage, which is a bonus move plus bonus attack. Plus on that bonus attack, you get to add the, ability value in damage to hits and critical hits it used to be i I played it before that um, you would just do it to the total damage you do for that attack so if you have a six quad six you would just do six bonus damage very good on top of rampage rampage is a great move Um, plus six bonus damage great gravy Um, but since the uh, faq it is now to you would do it to each dice roll. So each hit and critical hit. So if you hit four times, you can hit five times. um, You know, the boss has five attacks. Um, uh, If you hit all five times and you have a five or a six, let's say, let's just say you have a six. That's a bonus 30 damage on top of your, on top of everything that hit. Um, So incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Over the top. Um, probably going to need to be brought in line at some point but boy is it uh is it good um so if you if you go back and listen to an older episode where i'm talking about my strategies quote-unquote for Bite bits i definitely talk about i just fish for a quad until i get one Um, (laughs) sometimes you don't get it though and that's sad Mm -hmm.
0: and anybody can do the quad
3: anybody can do the quad you're almost always going to use a squig hopper because they have lots of attacks and you can use that bonus movement often 10 inches to get anywhere you want to go um so it's like your projected threat range is, is so good i've also used it on a um, on a squig itself if the squig is in the middle of a bunch of stuff because the squig will do the same amount of damage as a squig hopper they just don't have as much movement um, yep but anybody can do it. I, w- I would never use it on a non squig model because, um, and maybe we can talk about this in counterplays is all the squig stuff is really the stuff that's going to take things off the board. Everybody else is just to, uh, uh, to, uh, screw around. <laughs> yeah. Just to get in the way, throw nets on people, laugh, grab treasure, run, die. Um, yeah, but uh, the squigs are the real stars of the show. It's,
0: it's a great segue. Why don't we get into the the strengths of the army? Where would you put uh, kind of the top three to, to five strengths for these guys? Or what stands out?
3: Uh, number one, until things change, is the quad ability um, and the ability to – and the combination with very efficient and good fighters. Um, so they have uh, a very balanced selection of fighters and a very strong selection of abilities to use them. Um, if I was going to like narrow into strengths, I think – Having access to a fighter with really good movement and really good attacks is very beneficial. Um, so that's the hopper. Um, and then they also have access to very cheap bodies um, to like grab objectives and play that game, uh, which is you know, which you can get a forty-five point fighter. And I I've now I now take five of those just because I really like having the choice to use them. And I also call them the Kidnap Crew because they all have nets. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so that's I don't know. Uh, g- good fighters, good good abilities. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's their strengths. <laughs> they have, a, they have a, they're good all around. They have access to some ranged. I don't. Some people I think uh, do like taking a lot of arrow uh, bow bow bowgrats shooters. Um, I. I don't think that chip damage is really that valuable. I'd rather have another goblin than a, you know put out, give everybody with bows. Um, but they do have actually some range. But I wouldn't call that a strength.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How about weaknesses? What? Uh, where? Where's their kryptonite?
3: I think they're they're all around pretty strong. Maybe you can. Uh, I mean, Josh has given me a pretty hard time sometimes, and he, maybe he has a better insight into like how you would break apart a warband. I think if you can take the squigs off the table, um, they they'll have trouble rem- doing anything else. Um, mm-hmm. The squigs are decently tough. They have more wounds than everything, but a lot of things hit like uh, are hit harder than they can take it. Um, so
1: yeah, no, um, I think. Um... It de- really depends on the mission. Because sometimes, if you're if you're trying to kill numbers, you, you focus on the goblins because they're the weakest. But um, yeah, if, if you're worried about taking out the main threats like the the squig hoppers and the squigs, then you can mitigate losses. Um, you know, because the goblins can they can kind of mess up your tactics a bit, but they're not super threatening. So yeah, definitely focusing on the squig hoppers first and the squigs in any way you can slow them down or take away their movement or focus fire them down uh, will certainly help quite a bit
3: oh yeah uh, yeah and thinking of yeah i think it's a good point especially trying to lock down the hoppers like short yeah. of killing them another thing that gave me a really hard time was when i played i've only played one game against the unmade but when i when my squig hoppers were being frozen in fear yeah. like boy that shut down a lot of what i can do
2: mm-hmm. like
3: i'm used to being able to go anywhere and do whatever i want and like when my boss is shaking in his boots like i'm just like all right well <laughs> you know g- kidnappers go uh, yeah <laughs> and like we're used to like you know attacking babies and we're like well you gotta you have to kill like you know this giant uh, stilts of death uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah i think that that's also a good thing because like hoppers are pretty expensive like i think the the non is 200 points so if you can like mitigate those guys and throw a net on them or scare them or have a, a, access to something else. So you can really lock down a large percentage of the war band. Yeah. Uh, those are the guys that do and work. Absolutely. I see the, the
0: Boingrat bounders have a toughness five, which is also rare in the, in the meta, I guess. Um, but the Squig hoppers have the 10 inch movement, which did you prefer between the two having the longer movement or, uh, having a bit more toughness? Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know if I've said this before, but I am bullish on movement and bearish on toughness. So I think, yeah, movement is good. Toughness is not that valuable, given that how much damage is actually loaded up in crits. um, And toughness doesn't do anything to do to to mitigate crit damage. Um, So I and like that two inches of movement is is really good. Uh, It's not quite. The bounders also have an extra inch reach, which is really good. Um, but you're paying for you're losing attacks, and attacks is uh, can be more valuable. Um, yeah. Uh, especially because like uh, squid hoppers are often killing whatever they get into contact with. Um, but I, I mean I think it might have been for more narrative reasons why I picked I picked the hopper over the bounder because I feel like the bounder is more um, experienced. And the only I, the only time I actually took a ho- a bounder was this is strictly for narrative reasons was because <laughs> because a uh, one of my hoppers had lived enough games that I like switched him out for a bounder and just kept the same name and I'm like oh now he's like earned his armor uh, but uh, he died soon after. Was, <laughs> yeah, that was very sad for me and I haven't you know. We're still recovering. Maybe that's taking I'm usually only taking two, like my leader and like a second in command as hoppers because they're so expensive. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I've been taking a bunch of useless shaman in my my (laughs) (laughs) just there to look good. Uh, So why don't
0: you take us through you've peppered this in a little bit, but any other thoughts on kind of how each of the units is used on the battlefield or kind of some tactics that you're that you run a lot. Uh, besides you know get a quad or get good
3: get a quad is key um i let me think tactics i use i mean the non the so the the cheap crafts are there for objective play um so they they they're just there to waste their activations until like the the hoppers can move in safely you know i save those guys usually to the end unless they're under threat um because are such valuable pieces on the board um so that's what that's what the grots are there for uh the squig is really good it can it has the weakness it has it does a ton of damage but it has the weakness of being slow so it can get caught out of position and then just be like running like the length of the board the whole game um which is uh, kind of a a weakness um so the, the squig you want it to be like in the middle of the action mixing it up and doing a lot of damage and Forcing your opponent to use, to work against it um but yeah uh usually you're 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 fishing for a, a quad um yeah, even in the non powered sneaky stab um it's still very powerful and it allows you to jump in and you know trade very like if you're gonna like you can jump in the middle of like their whole war band and probably take out two pieces and then they're gonna waste a couple activations trying to dig you out if they can and if you can do it at the end of the round, um, that allows you to get another round of attacks in before maybe they can kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's usually what my second in command will do: is like kind of be the the squig missile and try to like trade very efficiently with my opponent's pieces, and then uh, my boss is there to more like finish the job. And it really depends on the mission, though.
0: Gotcha. No, that's that's interesting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your war band? Uh, we've gotten to tell you know hear about the warband in season one uh, through some of our narrative through our um, you know path to glory. Uh, anything else you want to tell us about your warband or kind of your take on on this warband?
3: Sure. So my warband is based off of my AOS army, which has a kind of narrative backstory to it. Uh, it's my warband is Skitrag Squig Squad, um, and they are an offshoot of the larger. Um, I don't. I don't have a good name for that whole army. I don't know if it's the gloomy Yang or what, but it's a larger uh, force. All my destruction forces uh, hail from a made-up place called the Hungering Plateaus and Gur, and it's a number of like l- uh, large land masses that kind of like constantly are really fast plate tectonics. So they're always like consuming each other. Like one is going under the other, and over, and the other is going over the top, and it's kind of a, a bestial. Uh, 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 geo geo, uh, I don't know, geographic kind of thing. Geographic is not the right word. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's late, it's late. Um, but, and so that's kind of where my iron jaws were, were kind of from, and they would like ride the plateaus as on raids kind of across, uh, across the land. And so I thought that was cool. Um, and uh, trying to get my glooms by gets, cause they have the same basing scheme. So they have to be from the same place. Um, so I think the, um, If the uh, so if if the the plateaus and on top of them are like the head and mouths of these continental beasts, the 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 goblins are from the bowels. And so there's like a bunch of like kind of constantly be networks of tunnels being created and destroyed underground. Um, And I call those are the bowels of the hungering plateaus. And so those are like, you know, kind of an intestinal network of 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 (laughs) of. of gook under there and that's just full of goblins right and uh, you know they're always getting squished all the time um but there's always more popping out and i think one of those tunnels got lost and <laughs> ended up in the eight points and uh, i don't have a good reason for that but now like you know there's a goblin infestation and that's kind of and they're trying to like gather resources and stuff and that's where my my guys are from um at least until I have a different idea.
0: Nice. Nice. I like that a lot. What are some other narrative takes on uh, this warband? What are some things that you guys could see somebody taking with this small model count and, and doing something really creative with? Um, Josh, do you have any ideas?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, being a KO fan, they they do mention grot Bat Scuttlers quite a bit. And I know a lot of people have made KO armies that are goblin based, but I think you could go with a uh you know, a Gitz force that, you know, they look like pirates or they look like they've been, you know, raiding in, in a particular area. So that'd be kind of a fun theme, some much like your your ogres, uh, Eric. And then, um, of course, again, you could do another a nice realm theme. You know, you know, obviously, uh, Paven's forces are from Gur, but you could do from Akshi, and maybe they've got, you know, flaming bits of hair, or their squigs or certain colors, or you could you do all sorts of fun, uh, flavorful environmental effects, I think, especially
0: with the squigs or mushrooms and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, I have um, uh, had started and... In- ogre army that is beaten up on tyranids uh which are space bugs uh when i got the loon curse box i took the big boss or the boss on giant squig is it giant squig or big squig um and it it has alternate two alternate kind of faces like or top of its jaw and i happen to have um the top part of a carnifex And it happened to just basically slot right into that spot perfectly. And so um, it gave my uh, big grot or or giant squig or whatever it is um, kind of much have have kind of like a carapace over like on its forehead. And so I've taken um, my smaller uh, bounders and uh, started green stuffing some kind of just ridges or like more like carapace or Shitness plates on their foreheads like and for me there's a story there where the squigs are basically the the heads of tyranids that have just yanked off and continued to consume things uh and so i'm kind of uh the other piece for me was the when they were called the moon clan uh, because my army's sand based i called them the dune clan uh, yeah. so they're kind of popping out of the sand and jumping through the sand and uh all that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit a little bit themed with my ogre, my destruction army. So similarly, this is a caravan of of ogres and greenskins um uh pressing through the endless desert um and uh trying to get away from the everwinter and so far they've succeeded. Uh but who knows. But um but yeah, so these guys kind of fit along with my destruction army uh as a whole. Uh, wandering through the bouncing through the sand or or i have um some of the the shooters kind of popping out of the sand as if they were hiding kind of buried underneath and popping up to to shoot their bows etc so um yeah yeah Paven, did you have any if you were to do these guys again or uh put together another warband like this do you have any other narrative ideas that you'd like to to latch on to
3: Yeah, I got got two. One is uh, pretty simple. and That is like leaning more into the knightly goblin uh, theme that the Boingarrat kind of touch on. I think that'd be really fun. So you have like kind of your royal knights and then you have like their men at arms and kind of their warhounds and their squigs and trying to lean into that aesthetic. I think you armor up a lot of a gets that way, um, using extra bits and you, you kind of have a more militaristic and kind of, um, kind of full suit of armor feel. I think that'd be, that'd be fun and relatively straightforward kind of conversion. And then my other idea was leaning into kind of like, what would grots do in the eight points? And I think grots that are pretending to be demons, um, like replicating (laughs) what they see would be, could be fun. Like, you know, they paint, they paint their cowls and their faces with like scary monster faces. And, you know, they're trying to, you know, show how tough and, and, you know, blend in to the natural environment. And maybe they make their squigs, like, I don't know, extra. I mean, squigs are also pretty terrifying, but like, I don't know, maybe they give them their horns or, you know, just lean into it. I I think when Grotz do it, it would end up feeling like more like Halloween than anything. Super menacing. but right. um, (laughs) But that's fine.
0: Um, I think, no, I like the, I love that idea of like the, grots themselves like painting themselves red like blood letters with horns Mm -hmm. and then the, the, the squigs uh, painting them pink or blue, like horrors Mm -hmm. Uh, and just kind of like trying to confuse the enemy or like, yeah, just like disguising themselves so that they can wander about the eight points without, uh, uh, without getting messed with too much.
1: Right. I did have another idea and and we don't really see any of the spider Grot gets in in this particular warband, but I think you could probably do a theme where you've got the spider fang in there. You know, they do have some of those spider goblin hybrids, which could be netters, and you could have spider riders as your boingot got grits. But I oh, guess they're yeah. they're much probably bigger base sizes, I suppose. But
0: yeah, they're a bit bigger. But I, I'm yeah, that that would be a cool alternative. And instead of you know, they're quote unquote flying is just how they can crawl over. Uh, any surface right. or, or pounce, you know, some spiders sure. do uh, sure. jump. All right. Uh, Paven had to, to hide in the bushes one more time. Um We're not going to question it. We're going to go with it. Um So Josh and I are going to wrap this up. Let's talk a little bit about kind of how we've dealt with or, or worked with these strong war bands in our local league play and more casual play. Um, and, uh, to some extent, the reason I wanted to try these guys in addition to loving the models and, and, uh, you know, being really keen on, on the, you know, the Vanguard, um, is to kind of see, are these guys a problem, right? Are they, do they cause strife in more casual play or narrative play environments? Um. And I think from what Paven and I both uh, talked about in each of these armies, there's some combos or there's some particular things that um, become kind of outliers where it is so unique in the game that it and it projects power uh, or strength or damage in such an unusual way or um, unique way that most people aren't thinking about having to having to counter that thing in most of the games that they play. Uh, would that be accurate? Do you think that's accurate, Josh? Uh, I do, yeah. And how it, would you say anything else to describe, you know, kind of that that aspect of it?
1: Um, well, I think, you know, again, it's, you know, most of them, are, well, they're they're from season one in Warcry. And so I think a lot of our initial impressions are based off the warbands that were available at the time and the abilities they had. And, you know, like you, you mentioned the, the range capability the stormcast had that we didn't really have in other war bands. But, you know, looking back on that now, like I said, you know, we have more war bands with more range and more similar types of abilities and it feels different.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think we're going to experiment, uh, see more experimentation with that. We're going to see more answers for that. Um, one of the things that I also found, uh, that I think was interesting, um, I mentioned how uh, long strikes are often targeted when I play. That the long strike becomes the um, fixation of my opponent, and uh, that's—they're not wrong to do that, or it's not bad for them to go after them. However, some of that is because they remember that that single dice roll, uh, or that that single time that the the long strike rolled the crit on their single dice roll to take a model off. And that felt strange. It felt different. It felt unexpected and maybe sometimes felt bad. Um, and so having uh, that be uh, a more emotional or or kind of unique experience stands out to most players uh, more so than uh, it probably feels, even though the hurricane does more damage over the course of a game um, and, you know, can, can, especially with some of its triple, be able to boost that and take out models pretty quick. It has to be closer, right? It has to be down in the mix or down on the the base level. And I think that feels more appropriate for war cry to a lot of people. It's less of an outlier. Um, uh, it's still 15 inches, uh, which can be strange. Um, but it seems to be less, uh, on one hand, it's the thing that I hear less about, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, more, I hear more, uh controversy around the long strike um yeah
1: and i think that's that's partially because you know even with the hurricane you, you get more shots and I, I think people are used to rolling more dice for more attacks get more hits and you expect something to maybe die that way but i think one of the things that stands out with the long strike is you can roll one die and kill something
0: potentially yep, yep.
1: And, and and that's true for the uh, with the ko arc not cannon you know it's got a a crit of eight and yeah you could one shot something as well you know so it's
0: and now the probability of that is relatively low right yes you're not with when you're rolling one dice it's unlikely that you're going to do that every time you're certainly not going to do it every time right but but it stands out and so it becomes kind of a a skewed perspective of that warband correct and i think the same with the the bounders um where they can move so fast and then put their damage that can spike really high where they want it. Uh, and that can be unexpected. I remember the first time <clears throat> playing a game against Paven's um, uh, uh, army in an objective game and I thought I was so clever with my eight move um, rock tusk prowler. I ran out, grabbed an objective and then ran back. and uh, he saw my rock tusk you know in my regular movement. And he flew his bounder up to the six inch tall top of the bell tower to grab an objective and then bounce off in another completely different direction. Uh, and, and one up to me like crazy. Um, so I remember that like, and that was so impactful that that's what I focused on every time I play him. When I can uh, impact those bounders, that's what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, similar to, to, um, the thrall master, you know, the first time somebody uses a thrall master to teleport a model, uh, across the battlefield, that becomes a high impact move that then becomes kind of part of how you approach that army in the future. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. And so I think that these two armies definitely have these elements that when min maxed can, uh, make for very competitive, but also can be some negative, uh, uh, casual experiences um, and we talked about our friend who playing casual in a more competitive uh, meta environment where he when he travels um, he's coming with kind of just a mixed list and somebody's coming with their most tooled up stormcast list uh, taking off a uh, more than one model in the first turn and then just making it very hard to to feel like you're in the game for the rest of the time so I think what is important, uh, there's two things that are important. One, I'll I'll say for players who are playing these two armies, and I'm sure that there's other armies, uh, that, that will find like this as well. And so maybe it's less important in this new season that when playing this, this army, get us, you know, get a feel for what makes those high impact experiences, uh, both positive and negative and, um, learn to apply them well, I guess. Uh, if you're in a casual setting, uh, learn to like explain them, uh, build, uh, let them know that this is something that can happen. Uh, and so they're not surprised by it when it happens, or uh, give them opportunities to, you know, show them how to beat it uh, so that it's something that they can think about and focus in on. That doesn't mean that they'll always be able to beat it just because they know the tool.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then the other side for those who are playing against it. Um, I've had some very negative experiences when people use terms, uh, to kind of broad stroke an army as being overpowered or broken. Um, and the negative effect isn't because when you say that it doesn't do anything for anybody, it doesn't help them beat it. It doesn't help them play against it. It doesn't help them change the scenario. Or change the outcome, Um, and more often than not, what it does is it tells people you shouldn't play that army, you shouldn't play that warband, and so that language, and even in teasing, or uh, you know, we had an experience where we were kind of all teasing about this a little bit, and it 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 can get too much, right? Um, And uh, we had a, a player who came in one of the first nights of the league and was interested in playing the Vanguard the next time he came in, I was playing the Vanguard and I was excited to share that with him and tell him about it. But because some of those words like broken or OP um, were coming out, my sense was uh, this person who was kind of excited about playing Stormcast may have left less excited because they were worried about um, getting kind of having sometimes it's, you know, it feels like you're doing something wrong, just bringing them. Uh, sometimes it invalidates your your feeling of a victory because somebody you know says that your army is overpowered, and so it almost borderlines on feeling like you've cheated to win. Um, and so I think that there's truth on both sides. Like there's truth to things when they're outliers and they can be over be standout moves that we can try and temper them a bit. Uh, but then the other side language like overpowered and broken don't help us get to that point where we can play fun games with these war bands. It ends up isolating and ostracizing the people that are playing those warbands. bands.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: What do you think, Josh?
2: Yeah,
1: no, I agree completely. And I, I think, uh, you know, many of the war bands can be, like you said, they can be optimized or played, you know, you could, you could take advantage of some of the fighter selections, like, you know, the Splintered Fang. you could take eight, nine, 10, 12 snakes, you know, and they're, they're super nasty, but that's not really the, you know the the balanced list and it's not really the focus of the you know the narrative focus of that particular warband so I- instead of throwing terms around you know you know learn and perhaps focus on okay well how can I play this more narratively more balanced to fit the you know and just be aware of how other people are playing against you and if they need help and if maybe you need to tone things back a bit if you're in more of a casual environment
0: yeah now, Josh, when you and I play, I feel like um, we have permission to kind of go all out, right? Yeah. Uh, do your best, make your most tactical moves, et cetera. Yeah. Um, we've talked a bunch on the podcast when you are playing somebody else's convergence, mm-hmm. um, that maybe that's not the time to not pull punches, but uh, maybe that's if, uh, if I'm at 1,300 points and you're doing your first convergence at 1,000 points maybe I should go down to a thousand points just to make this more of more of a fun game for you at your convergence. Right. Right. Don't, don't make it an impossible wall to get beyond. Um, and so we've already talked about scenarios in which you might, um, just kind of choose your matchup in a certain way to, to, uh, you know, make for a fun game. Um, at the end of the day, these scenarios and, um, and the, the victory conditions and all that kind of stuff and the twists can drastically change anything that we try and do to balance our lists or, or whatnot. Um, so sometimes that just so, that takes care of everything. Um, and you know, uh, as we figure out with all these new war bands, there's going to be new ones that become unique and different and, uh, might add some new, um, obstacles that we've not dealt with. And I think it's important to make sure that people feel welcome to use those, and to play those in your uh, areas. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to grow, you know, your your leagues and your community. It, when you isolate certain war bands, uh, you start isolating the people that love those war bands. And that's not something that, that we really p- want to promote or see happen more of uh, in our groups and the larger community. Um, that is a wrap for this show. I hope you've uh, enjoyed this second uh, deep dive into two of the war bands. We are going to be back in the next couple of weeks. Uh, in two weeks from now, we're going to be at Adepticon. Um, there may be, uh, we're going to try and be putting out another episode sometime between here and Adepticon. It might be a shorter one uh, truncated while we're doing prep. Uh, and then uh, after that, our next one after Adepticon will be a recap of the gibbering dome event that we hope you're all excited uh, when you're attending to come and play with us. Uh, or to hear about if you were unable to come to Adepticon or get into the, the event. So look forward to that. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themotorrealmscom forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themotorrealmscom forward slash Patreon. More content is available at TheMortalRealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry.
2: to the Dogs of War Cry.